Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert in the Element Well Studios, along with Rhino, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. On this Hump Day, we made it to Hump Day. That is an accomplishment this week. Beautiful fallish-like weather outside. Little nip in the air this morning. I thought the yeah, rain it was crisp. It was. The rain moved through yesterday rather rapidly. Oh, yeah. Skinny little squall land. Yeah, and that's about it. Okay, last night I took one for the team. I endured the entire one hour of pain. Oh, geez. Witnessing this debate between a Democrat candidate for the United States Senate, John Fetterman, for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And on the Republican side, Mehmet Oz, the uh, well-known TV doctor. Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. Never seen anything quite like that before in a political debate or perhaps any sort of political event activity whatsoever. Ever. Now, I learned this morning that there were two 72-inch monitors in the debate studio, which I think was the ABC affiliate, if I'm not mistaken, in Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia. And so there was a monitor positioned above the head of each of the t- – there were two moderators that were – asking the questions in the studio there. And the purpose of the monitor was to display the questions in text for Fetterman. And it it looked a little strange in that every time one would ask a question, he would pause, he would hesitate, and I noticed his eyes would kind of go up a little bit, meaning up above where the moderators asking the questions would be seated. He, of course, standing on the stage at the podium. They, of course, sitting at a lower level. And so you would think as they're asking the question, his eyes would be focused. You know, you just notice that. His eyes would be focused kind of at a 45-degree angle somewhat downward. But they weren't. And then I realized because he is processing the question, reading it from the monitor. Apparently... He can't process what he hears. And so the question had to be displayed. Now, anyone who had concerns about his mental acuity and his incoherence 
during his performance is, a, is being castigated by his supporters. Give him a break. You're heartless. He had a stroke. He's recovering. Then he shouldn't be running for Senate. And He should be at home recovering. Agree. And so, have we gotten to that point in this country? I mean, I've talked extensively about the march to mediocrity here. And first, let me just say, I'm sorry as can be and I, about his, his clinical, his health issues. And I, I pray, I hope, anybody, I don't want anybody to be sick. That's just, right, that's just normal humanity and concern for the health of others. I don't agree with a guy on policy. I don't think any policy, as a matter of fact. But I don't wish him to be sick. On the other hand, if you are, I'm sorry. You're unfit to serve in office in this case. And we're not talking about some physical ailment that you could get by with and you could accommodate as a member of the Senate. Like you're in a wheelchair, for example. You're on crutches. I, I don't know. I could come up with other issues as well. Um, Dan Crenshaw, right, only has one eye. But if you don't have all your mental faculties, how in the wide world of sports can you serve in the U.S. Senate or any public office? I mean, would you be comfortable? A serious question, and it's no disrespect whatsoever to anybody that has some sort of disability, but would you be comfortable with a person who can't see flying an airplane? Would you get on a commercial jetliner? What's next? People who can't walk? play an NBA basketball? We're to accommodate them? I mean, it doesn't mean you can't obviously assimilate into society and make valuable contributions. Sure you can. Of course you can. But there are some things you just can't do. You have to mark that off your list. I've given this crazy example before. I think about my home situation. I love golf. I'm not going to be on the PGA Tour. So if if anybody says that that's unfair, I should be on the tour? <laughs> wow. I mean, it's crazy. You, right? We just all have to, at some point in our lives, come to the realization of what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. That's just part of being a human. So you leverage your strengths for good. And you mitigate your weaknesses. In this particular case, this guy's just not qualified to serve in the U.S. Senate. He's just not. Or any other public office. If you require a monitor to display text of other humans speaking for you to process it, to react to it, I don't know. I think that's a pretty big problem. And that's just the start of this guy's performance. Now, Oz would probably not be my first pick to represent the Republicans in this race, but gosh, did he ever stand out 
simply because he could communicate effectively. Forget the policy differences, just that he could receive the questions, rapidly process them, and articulate rational, reasonable, coherent responses. I mean, that just in that was a difference. The Democrats ought to be ashamed, honestly, of putting this guy up. So I happened to post something out there last night on my social media about it, because I watched the whole thing and just shared some thoughts. And this was kind of weird. I was just talking to our content director, Alex Payton, out in the green room about this, this before we came on the air. Maybe you're familiar with what's going on here, Rhino. But I got lots of reactions from people who aren't my friends, not Facebook friends. My wife always likes to say, they're not your friend. <laughs> okay, connected to <laughs> On Facebook. <laughs> but that's become kind of part of our parlance these days, right? But I noticed that, and then numerous comments, and these were all, not all, but a good number of them were people who were defending Fetterman and supporting him. And I couldn't figure out, uh, so the only time I ever see that is when somebody sh- shares, lots of shares. Now, I have it tagged, I have it flagged as public, which means you could go view it, uh, uh, even if you're not connected as a Facebook friend, right? But what I couldn't figure out is how rapidly so many that I'm not connected to are reacting and commenting. So either Facebook is, is its algorithms are processing the content and then distributing those into news feeds of people who they think may have an interest in it, or maybe it's people searching the the platform for any kind of post, any content. I think that's more likely, because haven't there been reports that Facebook is trying to distance itself from having so much politics on its news feeds? That's what he said, because they're trying to keep the government away from regulating them, right? Oh, no, we're not doing that. But anyhow, I just found that as interesting. But here's what comes up, the resounding, the resounding issue that comes up in defense of Fetterman. It's abortion. It's unbelievable. Now, maybe it's just anecdotal, these handful of people of the millions in the state of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, but that that's just it. Like, I don't care if the guy, you know, doesn't have a brain cell, if he'll vote in favor of basically unlimited abortion, he's my guy. That's where we've gotten in this country, from the left's perspective. Unbelievable. There was even some crazy hashtag blue, um, vote blue for women's rights or some crap like that. Some hashtag they're all using. Hashtag activism. Exactly. Gotta love it. We're in the Element Well Studios. Douglas Carswell at 12.05. Rob J is coming on. I think his time's changed in the 11 o'clock hour. Stay with us. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Super Talk Mississippi. We are once again in the Element Well Studios. Also, a little announcement. There is, I believe, an event. It is today, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 12 o'clock today at Mama Hamill's Southern Cooking and Barbecue Buffet in Madison. Great place to eat, by the way. Pregnancy Resource Act Tax Credit Luncheon. And this is an event, I believe, hosted by a speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. And, and this is really just about uh, a law that was passed that allows citizens, taxpayers of Mississippi, to make contributions to certain qualified organizations that uh, deal with counseling women and helping women in their time of need that uh, maybe are considering an abortion as an option to terminate their pregnancy. And anyhow, there's, if you donate to these organizations, it's dollar-for-dollar tax credit up to a certain figure on your state income taxes. So this event is today, Pregnancy Resource Act Tax Credit Luncheon. That is the style, the name, the title of the event. You can go online to look how to register, but it gets kicked off at 12 o'clock. If you uh, got some thoughts and want to hear about that, the speaker will be discussing it. Appreciate that. Uh, William and Brandon says, I watched some of the debate, and apparently John... Fetterman and Kenneth Stokes buy their suit jackets from the same tailor. Uh, what tailor, William? <laughs> if there's a tailor involved in that, he need to be fired. I hear you, though. I, I That's only the second time I've seen him actually wear a, a suit, a jacket. And, it, and I think what William is referring to here is that it kind of just hangs on him. It's about two sizes too big around the chest, and the sleeves extend pretty much down to the middle knuckles on his fingers. Uh, it's sad. It truly is. Just to get a bit of a taste of this, uh, the proceedings last night, we got some sound for you. This is, I think it's a montage. Take a listen. Hi. Good night, everybody. Stop it right there, Rhino. Okay, I just want you guys to know that is the very first thing he said. We'll start it over and play it again. The very first thing Fetterman said after the moderators introduced the candidates and kind of set the ground rules and so forth, and they gave him the floor for opening statements. Play that again, Rhino. Hi. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> At the beginning. I'm, I'm serious. Might you have a clue right there? This guy's got problems. And again, I'm not making fun of it. I'm concerned about his fitness to be a United States senator. Proceed. Now, here's what I think we have to fight about inflation here right now. That's what we need to fight about inflation. And I believe that, again, my doctors, the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. That's it. He got his Pennsylvania house from his own inlays from a a dollar. Stop it right there. His inlays. He got them from his inlays. Continue. Uh, I, I I do support fracking, and I don't I don't I support fracking, and I stand and I do support fracking. Now, st- yeah, thanks for stopping. So the reporter called him out because he regularly, repeatedly indicated, verbally and in writing, 
I oppose fracking and want to shut it down. And I was actually I was actually impressed that she called him out on it. And th- and you heard what he said. I do support it. And by the way, if if you watch him right now when he's talking, you see how his eyes are kind of floating all over the place there? It's like uh, he just can't really process his thoughts and then deliver them audibly. Continue. Okay. Now, we, we all have to make sure that everyone that works is able to, that's that's the most American bargain, that if you work full-time, you should be able to live in dignity as well, true. That, that's what I believe. I don't ever recall in the Statue of Liberty that they say, you know, you know, take our tired huddle masses and put them on a bus. Are there everybody in Braddock, uh, an overwhelmingly majority uh, community of, of black uh, community, all understood what happened. You know, they uh, they understood what happened, and everybody agreed that. And whether it was a $50 tax break, you know, about his farm in Montgomery County. So it's about supporting and helping, you know, young earners, excuse me, young, uh, young, uh, young you know, students. How to, exactly, Mr. Federman, do you propose doing that to make it more affordable for a fa- for families? No, I, I just believe, I just making it that much more, it, it, it costs too much, and I believe providing the resources to, to reduce the tuition to allow families to be able to afford it. They can't afford it anymore because of interest rates. I've talked to families. You want to cut five. Social Security. Um, Mr. Fetterman, it's his turn for his closing. So, <laughs> So the the final the final outburst there was during the closing. They get what like a minute or three minutes. I can't remember. Short period of time. They're each are allocated just to make their their closing pitch. This is why you ought to vote for me, right? Well, Fetterman went first, and then it went over to uh, time for Oz and Fetterman right in the middle of Oz's closing. You want to cut Social Security? <laughs> I, I watched your body English. It was painful, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. To watch that. That was uh, cringe-worthy. At, and that's being nice about it. So, again, look, have you ever been around someone that suffered a stroke? I have. My father, back in the 90s. It it was sad. It was painful. It hurt. And I remember being in the hospital with my father, and honestly, the doctors were a bit perplexed because all the tests didn't reveal. And what they kind of just concluded was that he had, you've probably heard this before, a mini-stroke. And, and I guess maybe back then the diagnostic tests weren't sophisticated enough to detect that. But they were fairly certain based on the symptoms that's what happened. And I remember walking in, my mother was there, and I remember walking in the hospital room and my father referred to me as my brother. Now, I cried because my brother passed away. I think I've told the story before in 1976, many years prior, 20-something years prior. And, and I knew at that point that there was something going on. And what was weird is my father could talk. So the doctors come in and start asking him questions, just to test, you know. And he could recall things from the 40s, from when he was a, a teenager, 20-something, and was in the Navy in World War II. But if you asked him who the president is today, he couldn't tell you. And so they had 
deduced from that those tests, perhaps he had loss of recent memory, which is, I think they said, a symptom of a stroke. I'm just going through this to kind of say, look, I feel for him. It's it's sad. You shouldn't be in the public eye like that. Now, my father did recover. Still had a little recent memory loss, but he did ultimately recover. And maybe Fetterman will, too, but you don't know that. And you're talking about being seated in January in the U.S. Senate. Possibly, think about this, he could be the deciding vote. It could be a 51-49 deal. And he's the deciding vote, that particular race. Well, all that's just scary to me. But the thing that concerns me, though, folks, is that I heard this morning 600,000 in Pennsylvania have already voted in early voting. So they didn't see this. They didn't get the benefit of Well, this there were debate. reports that he raised over a million dollars after the debate last night. That's just unbelievable. And I, I still Who parts believe, with their money for that guy? I'm telling you. Standing up there sounding like that to represent them. It's crazy as this sounds, and honestly, as sick as it is, it's abortion. And he got asked that a question, that question, and basically I said, uh, I think this is an issue that ought to be determined at the state level. That No, he's fine. He, he supports the overturning of Roe v. Wade uh, on a legal basis and, and believes it ought to be handled at the state level. That's what Oz said. And what, of course... Fetterman said is, and he got asked numerous ways how he felt about numerous style questions about the abortion issue. No, I'm I'm for Roe v. Wade. I'm just for Roe. And they and they kept asking him, well, what about late term abortions? I'm for Roe v. Wade. He just never would answer the question. And I swear, I think it's about it. By the way, the hashtag. I'm looking at my Facebook. Vote blue to protect women. Like, Too wordy. Shorten it down, people. <laughs> Coming back with more from the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. us into this segment. Thank you for that. Rhino fooling yourself. The Gallo Show with guest host Lucian Smith will be at the Mississippi Coliseum in Jackson tomorrow for the annual Mississippi Economic Council Hobnob. This is the biggest gathering for movers, shakers, and playmakers from across the state. 
It's the number one gathering place for networking with statewide political and business leaders. For more information about this year's Hobnob or to register, go to mec.ms. And also, Brian Kilmeade's going to be at the Brandon City Hall on Saturday, November the 12th. Tickets for the show are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. And later on in the program, we're going to give away some tickets for the show, the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm glad he's coming to Mississippi. Ought to be fine. For another viewpoint, says Rusty on the ceasefire text line, talking about this debate last night between John Fetterman, Democrat candidate for the United States Senate to represent the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and Mehmet Oz. Anyhow, Rusty says, for another viewpoint, read Bobby Harrison's latest column. I agree with you, not him. I did. Thank you for that, uh, Rusty. And, yeah, so did you see this, Rhino? What Essentially what Mr. Harrison attempted to do is kind of connect a situation we had here in Mississippi some 20 years ago, and it deals with Senator Benny Turner, a Democrat from West Point. He was, uh, according to Bobby, a respected Member of the legislature, he was respected for his, quote, thoughtful analysis, civility, and even-keeled approach to legislating, end quote. But he did have a hearing impairment. So you get where we're going here. Bobby is trying to make the case that, well, look, in fact, the title of the article, National Politicos Can Look to Mississippi for Answers on Impact of Disabilities on Elected Office Holders. Okay, Bobby. <clears throat> Being hearing impaired does not rise to the level, in my view, of being incoherent and unable to process audible speech, at a minimum. So, I just can't see how we could possibly tie those two together. I certainly believe that a hearing impaired person could could serve capably in public office. I don't think anybody's arguing that. I'm not. And gosh, Rhino, today... Because well, hearing impairment does not impair one's cognitive abilities. Correct. Additionally, that particular deficiency, there's lots of technology today, right? More so than there was even 20 years ago to mitigate that. Lots of ways to deal with that. I don't have a problem with that. No more than I would have a problem if someone, like I said, were had a problem with mobility. Clearly they could serve. No issue with that. And do a lot of other things, too. But there's just some things that don't match up. If you're not mobile, you probably can't play professional sports. If, God forbid, you can't see, there's certain things you just got to be able to see for, to perform. And... I never forget I worked um, for a short period of time for a place that, God bless her, hired a person who was hearing impaired to be the receptionist. Now, that wasn't a problem face-to-face, but in that period of time, you didn't have all the technology that you could attach to phone systems, and she couldn't hear and would often hang up on clients. And it's like, 
there's probably something else she could do here. This isn't one of them. This requires the ability to hear. And that's not that that's not intended to be inhumane or demeaning or um I I mean whatever other pejorative adjectives you wanna you wanna use and critical of someone's disability, not whatsoever. But we gotta be realistic about some of these things. In the case of Serving in public office as a U.S. senator, you need to be able to, you need to possess certain mental acuity and the ability to process thoughts cognitively and to articulate coherently. So, in my post, and I simply just shared the facts about the, um, the debate, including an example, just one of many. That unfortunately, it's too long. We don't have time to get into it today. But when the moderator often would ask a question, he would respond with some answer that not only was just jumbled sentence fragments and mispronounced words, it wasn't related. Like, for example, he got asked about the minimum wage, right? That, that was an issue. Yeah, They asked both candidates, would you support a federal minimum wage of $15? And just just so you know, folks, before the question was asked, they displayed a map on the screen of Pennsylvania and its border states. And I can't remember them all. Uh, let's see, Pennsylvania, does it border New York, perhaps? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look at a map. I don't have my geography down as well as I should. Nonetheless, it was like four. Yeah, it shares a northern. It's northern border and New York southern border. And is it, uh, uh, what is it to the west? Is it Ohio? Yes. Okay. And With then, a little sliver of West Virginia as well. Okay. And then to the south, what do you got there? Delaware? Maryland, Delaware to the southeast, and then to the east is New Jersey. Okay. New Jersey is the one in particular. Right. So they displayed a map. And it showed the minimum wage in each of those states. And the minimum wage in Pennsylvania, which I believe is still the federal minimum wage, it's seven and a quarter. And the other states had adopted higher minimum wages at the state level. So the question was, would you support a federal minimum wage of $15, especially since here in Pennsylvania we still adhere to the federal seven and 25, 725 minimum wage. And, And the answer that Fetterman came out with was something like, Something to the effect, Dr. Oz has 10 mansions and he doesn't pay taxes in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's like totally unrelated to the question. It's like somebody had just fed those talking points into his head, which all his talking points were attacks on Oz. None of them were how great I am or what I stand for. It was more about how bad he is. I guess maybe that's kind of how things go in politics these days. But... That clearly demonstrated that this guy's just not fit for the office. That's totally different than, as Bobby points out, someone who's hearing impaired. I dare say a hearing impaired person that doesn't have, doesn't possess uh, these, these brain dysfunctions, which a stroke causes, I dare say could perform fine in a political debate with the various aids, right, to mitigate their hearing impairment. But no amount of technology is going to think for Fetterman. That's the point. 
That is exactly the point. Therefore, how in the world can you be a lawmaker? With serious stuff. Now, I know folks will say, well, heck, that's what we got in the president. In my opinion, watching this last night, this was Biden times 10. Uh, It's just sad. But what's more disturbing is it raises a million dollars. Democrats are still big time supporting him. So one of these people that (laughs) chimed in uh, on my post got mad because they said, well, you're mocking him. No, I just, I shared what I heard. I saw it. I heard it. This was the question. This was his answer. And that's not mocking him. That's just exposing the truth. We can't do that anymore, right? No, because liberals don't like to live in reality. That's why a a big chunk of them believe men can get pregnant. Oh, man. This person said, shame on you for making fun of a stroke victim. I didn't make fun of him. I, I just repeated what he said. I just shared what he said. That's not making fun of him. I didn't demean him. I didn't label him. I, I didn't call him by any ad hominem slurs or anything like that. I just said, this was the question. This was the answer. That concerns me. You're mocking him. Well, he mocked himself, if you think about it, by being there. He put himself in that position, and his handlers and his supporters and the party, they're at fault. Same with Biden. I mean, he's he's an old man that's got issues. Just simple as that. Shouldn't be the president. And every time he goes out and just says dumb stuff that's not true. We're coming back with more. Don't forget Douglas Carswell at 12.05. Rob J. in the 11 o'clock hour. He's going to be talking about ESPN coming to town. Stay with us. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Some of these races are really starting to get very interesting. Um, The Senate races in particular, it's hard to believe, but there are some who who feel that the Republicans could not only take control of the Senate, but by a somewhat of a meaningful margin. Newt Gingrich predicting 55 Republicans to 45 Democrats when all said and done. Now, here's how that would play out. You got Pennsylvania, which needs to be won by Oz, just to stay level. Right, because he would be replacing a, an existing seat held by a Republican. 
And then you've got, of course, that'd be Pat Toomey. And then you've got Ohio, J.D. Vance, the Republican candidate there, his opponent, Democrat Tim Ryan, Congressman Tim Ryan. Again, that just to stay level. And then Wisconsin. And these are the three high-profile, I guess, most closely contested races uh, with respect to just staying level. And then Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. All right, so let's just say you take all those three, still break even where you are, 50-50, if everything else stays the same. All right, but then let's look at seats that could be flipped to get to five. And here they are. Georgia, Herschel Walker would replace Warnock. You got uh, Arizona. That's Blake Masters against Mark Kelly. Masters, the Republican. That would flip a seat. You got Nevada. And then as crazy as it is, Washington State. Old Patty Murray, who's never smiled. I don't think she has the muscles to smile, just thinking. She's got stiff competition, and it's close. Shockingly close. So that's how things could work. That's four. The the fifth one is New Hampshire, where uh, that's Senator... Is it Hassan, I believe, right? Female. And I can't remember her opponent. But, and the one in Washington is really, really interesting. That's uh, Tiffany Smiley, I believe, is the Republican candidate who was opposing uh, Patty Murray. We looked it up last week. What we figure out, Rhino, she's been there since like 93 or something, right? Long time. The Clinton era. And... She's just an old grouch, honestly. She's kind of the West Coast version of Liz Warren. Liz does smile every now and then. I've never seen Patty Murray, who looks like a cartoon character, honestly. She doesn't even look like... And again, I, I'm not... And I don't get into a habit of of um, talking about folks' looks. But in the case of being a U.S. senator, you got to smile every now and then. Dang. It's just like Debbie Downer pessimism, just what she projects. I don't think that's good, honestly. So that doesn't mean you don't face the critical issues head on and with with concern and vigor and and commitment, but gosh, you, you gotta smile every now and then and have a bit of optimism about you. It's it's exactly what happened to Jimmy Carter when in his waning days as president. He was just always looked doom, gloom, dour, depressed all the time. And Reagan shows up with, hey, optimism, smiling. Here's what we can do. We just need to change in leadership. So I think there's something to be said for that. But anyhow, that's how how um, Newt sees it. Let's say we stay level to get control with those three races, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin, you just need one of those other five to flip to get 51-49, which just makes a huge difference. So hopefully we'll get to that point. And then Kamala is essentially defanged in terms of her tie-breaking vote power, which is what we've been dealing with. The Hopefully the good people of Pennsylvania will see fit to vote for Oz and no huge Oz fan, but he's orders of magnitude better than this other 
just he's just a crazy person, honestly, at the end of the day. Usually stroke survivors appear drunk, says Thomas and Greenwood, at least from my experience. Yeah, I don't know that he was slurring like you typically see, but I've seen that as well, Thomas. He just has difficulty pronouncing words and forming sentences and, and I, I guess, transferring coherent thoughts and, and substantial thoughts into meaningful, understandable communication. I think that's kind of where the major problem is. I just don't see how you can be a senator when that's going on. It's time for a break here on Midday. Super Talk News, Fox News coming your way. We're coming back. we got Rob J., Assistant Athletic Director for Broadcasting and Video Services at Jackson State, and then Douglas Carswell from the Center for Public Policy. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, hour two of the program on this hump day. Dang right. Rob J., Assistant Athletic Director for Broadcasting and Video Services, Jackson State University, will be in the Element Well Studios at, uh, it's 11.20, right? Coming up in the next segment. Yeah, yes, little, sir. Yeah, awesome. And then Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy at 12.05. So, watching the Business Channel here in the studio, Rhino, fiery debate in Pennsylvania last night. That uh, that's the headline. It was just sad. That I mean, what's the rest of the world thinking when they see our president that has cognitive deficiency and and now this person running for Senate? And look, all senators are obviously very powerful. And there ain't but two per state. But Pennsylvania, there, kind of in the heart. Of where the nation was founded? Ah, it's just disturbing. And to see the spin, the spin on it, it's just insane. Like, how can you spin this? But I will share this with you, folks. Even, even old uh, Joe Scarborough there, Morning Joe, at MSNBC, at 7.35, right in the midst of, of the debate, he tweeted, and I quote, This is painful to watch regardless of one's politics. He even lost Joe. And arguably, nobody outside of Joe and Mika have such deep contempt for Donald Trump. Certainly in the journalistic world. And I simply point that out because Oz is supported by, endorsed by Trump. Now, some would suggest, I know Thomas Greenwood believes that. If you don't, Thomas, let me know, that Trump's endorsement of him hurts him, talking about Oz, in Pennsylvania. So I read, (laughs) I know some of the comments on that tweet 
This is painful to watch regardless of one's politics, tweeted by Joe Scarborough at MSNBC last evening during the debate. He said, this uh, individual says, Fetterman post-stroke on his worst day is still better for Pennsylvania and the country than Dr. Oz on his best day. This person, you got to love it, Rhino. <laughs> his name on Twitter, Seth, capital N, apostrophe, violence. Seth and violence. <laughs> he says, Fetterman's thoughts are coherent. If you read a transcript, Fetterman wiped the floor with Oz. It's about issues, not how well-spoken someone is. What good is strong debate performance when the person is against everything you stand for? Of course I'm partisan. Issues matter. That's how people think in this country. That person spends entirely too much time online. (laughs) Exactly right. They need to do what the kids are calling and touch grass. (laughs) exactly this person yes a public servant running against a con man with women's freedom and the very concept of democracy on the line everything's democracy on the line yet you like so many others focus on optics over substance and the implications of putting someone like oz in power wonder how 2016 happened just Again, another person that spends the majority of their life online. <laughs> uh, gosh. Because anybody in the real world existing in reality, not la-la land that Democrats like to live in, in, in reality, <laughs> watched that and went, ooh, that's <laughs> ugly. <laughs> it's just crazy. Oh, well. Um... I'm going to pivot a bit here to continuing uh, to d- the discussion about some of the economic issues that not only came up last night in the debate, but uh, part of Joe Biden's speech, because I still think that's the most critical issue as we approach the midterms. This is what's top of everybody's mind. It's what's of most concern. And so this issue came up again uh, as we discussed earlier, with respect to the minimum wage, the candidates were asked that last night. And and I don't have any sound for you, but what you heard um, Fetterman say in that little montage, something to the effect, it's, it's part of the American contract deal between them. That's what he was talking about. It was in response to the minimum wage. You work for someone, they got to pay you enough to make ends meet and to to fund a household, essentially, right? Well, this is what's missing in the whole argument about minimum wage, is the data. I know that's shocking, but the statistics. So, you know, it's not the first time I've researched and reviewed this data uh, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, by the way, the official U.S. federal government data published on the subject of minimum wage. And it's grossly misunderstood. It is exaggerated. Now, let's be honest, they just lie about it. Because they can. And people say, yeah, that's not right. Right, minimum wage. Uh." Well, as it turns out, and honestly, right, I think the first time I ever talked about this, maybe a year and a half or so ago, 
I had you go check me on it, and I remember you looking it up. I, I remember the look on your face. I think you were a little surprised to find out, because it is a bit shocking. Most people think, oh, yeah, this is a huge problem. There's just millions of people out there. They're only making a minimum wage, and they got a household of, of six they're trying to take care of. Well, that obviously won't work. So here's the data, folks. The folks in the country that actually make uh, the number, percentage-wise, that actually are paid by the hour is quite low. It's not nearly as uh, where most people think it is. It, it is um, less than 15% of the total population. I mean, it's just they're hourly workers and not salary workers. But 1.4% of workers in this country make the prevailing minimum wage. 1.4%. 1.4%. You know when it was highest? 1979. 13.4%. That's how far we've progressed and come. But that never gets discussed. And then... Who's making the minimum wage? Well, again, the, the narrative the left always likes to push is it's it's the breadwinner of the family out making minimum wage trying to take, take care of the entire household, spouse and, you know, multiple kids. A lot of times they'll use the family of four, typical family of four, living on minimum wage. Except that's just a lie because there's like hardly any families of four who are making the federal minimum wage. Those who were never married were more likely than married workers to earn the federal minimum wage. It's about 1%. It's just nothing. And, of course, age is the big thing because I think most of the time when clear-eyed people think about minimum wage, they think about their first jobs, entering the workforce. You do something that is appropriate for a young person, they pay you minimum wage. And a lot of times, honestly... From an employer perspective, it's as much just out of the goodness of the heart of the employer to bring a person in, to help them get exposed to the workforce and labor and commitment and responsibility, as it is whatever services they're performing, that they could probably often do without, honestly. But workers under age 25 represent about a fifth of hourly paid workers, they make up 44% of those who are paid the federal minimum wage or less. And teenagers, ages 16 to 19, paid by the hour, 4% earn the minimum wage or less, compared with 1% of workers age 25 or older. 1%! Well, I dare say there's not a lot of 16-year-olds that are supporting a family of four. Just probably aren't. In fact, if the left has their way, they're aborting all their babies, if you think about it. So this this data really refutes the narrative, the political narrative. It, it shouldn't even be a question in political debate. So it shouldn't even be a policy question. Now, I personally believe we should have no minimum wage. I think you'd see wages go up without a minimum wage. I think you'd see Americans have a better chance of seeking gainful, higher-paying employment because what happens a lot now is that illegals come across 
and they don't pay a minimum wage because they're illegal and they don't have to and it's not reported. And it would end all that, I believe, if we eliminated the minimum wage. Let the market work. Rob J. coming in next to talk about Jackson State's ESPN visit. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. The Jackson State University sonic boom bumping us into this segment, courtesy of Rhino there. And that, of course, for Rob J., Assistant Athletic Director for Broadcasting and Video Services at Jackson State University. Thanks for coming in, Rob. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. I like that song you were playing. Great, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I, okay, I got to tell you, uh, I like the JSU red and blue paisley tie you got on there. This is. That is cool. This is one of the Deion Sanders. Okay. Ties. You know, he he, yeah. he um, joked about my tie that I had, so uh-huh. he has his own brand of ties. Huh. I, I didn't know I, that. I, yeah, so this is, on. Uh, you can see on the other side it has Prime on it. <laughs> he's in everything, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> Good night. Well, he's a pretty well-known <laughs> figure, let's put it that way. Um, all right, so the big news is that ESPN Game Day is mm-hmm. coming to Jackson, Mississippi. Going to be uh, featuring the Jackson State University and Southern University football game this mm-hmm. weekend at Memorial Stadium in Jackson. So, who did they call exactly, Rob? How does that work? Who got? Who was first to get the notification? I think the first one was the athletic director, Ashley okay. Robinson. I okay. think Ashley got it first, and then he told Deion Sanders. Now, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the young lady with the city of Jackson, uh, what is it, Visitors Bureau? Yeah. She called me and she said, can you get on the radio and uh, just, she said, we are in the running for game day coming to Jackson State. I'm like, <laughs> for real? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so she said, no, no, Rob, we're in the running for it. So can you get on the radio and just, um, you know, just try to pump it up and let everybody know that, um, you know, to support this? i like, they, they ain't coming. And I was surprised when when they when they told me last week that they were coming. That is awesome. Yeah, it's so it's so awesome. So I, I bet that's kind of added a little bit to your plate. I <laughs> I was up all night finding video. They wanted video of Robert Brazil, okay. Walter Payton, yeah, NFL uh, stars, of course. It, yeah, yeah. They, all those uh, guys that played at JSU. I had to yeah. find those. Uh, had to find that footage. They wanted. A video of the stadium. They want a video of the city of Jackson. So I was up all night finding that. And it was really hard to do finding Jackson State footage because I don't know if you remember this coach Jackson State had. His name was James Bell. Yeah. He was the worst coach in the history of coaching. I do remember. He I couldn't do. coach nothing. Well, <laughs> he threw away all of that footage when he was the coach. Threw it away? Oh, my God. I mean, I cannot believe. I was like, who let him do this? So I have been, from my Gosh. days at LBT, I had been trying to, to round up footage. Yeah. You know. Uh, of that, and I've been asking Eddie Payne. Eddie Payne has a lot of really good footage. Yeah. So I, yeah, I've been up. I've been up trying to find footage, and um, you know, and they're at the stadium now building the set. So okay, yeah, we've been really so busy. they're there now building yeah. the set. Yes, yeah, so I guess you got to get started now. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Desmond Howard was at 
was there yesterday doing stories on, I think, uh, Shadour, the quarterback and the, the place kicker and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah. He didn't even speak to me, you know. Wow. So you're going to have a <laughs> – he didn't speak to you. He didn't speak. Look right Why at not? me. He opened his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you need to tell him who you a, are. I might throw a tomato at him when I see him. <laughs> uh, surely you're expecting capacity crowd for the game. Huh? They told us. They told me this morning that they had, I think, like five thousand tickets left. Okay, but yes, I, I, the crowd that I'm really concerned about is the crowd that will be there for game day. It starts at eight in the morning. Okay, and that is that's the crowd that. Uh, because I think it's going to be more people other than Jackson State and Southern people. I think it's going to be schools from uh, fans from Ole Miss and all these other schools, man, coming in to hold up their signs and everything. I that's think it's great. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. That's cool. So, are they setting up in Memorial Stadium parking lot there? Yes, they're they're um, on the visitor side. They're outside on the visitor side of the stadium where you get your tickets. The, yeah. It's the main entrance on the visitor side. Okay, that's where they set up at. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well. Did, had they ever shared how they came to this decision? I, you know what? I, I think they didn't. They didn't share it. But they, I, I think the Deion Sanders factor, of course. Sure. Yeah, I think. And, and with him being on sixty minutes yep. last week, and then uh, Good Morning America being there, uh, the last game, and I think all of, and plus Jack State's undefeated. Yeah. Southern's in first place in their division. It's a good I, game. I, I, yeah, yeah. Big yeah. matchup. It, you know that game is always a really good game. I always thought if there was one game in the swag that should get a lot of national exposure is that one because it's always mm-hmm. packed at both at both schools when they play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, it's just it, it's big time for obviously the university, for mm-hmm. the city, for the yeah. state. Yeah, and I hope the city is ready. You know, you had the mayor on there last, what yesterday, I or day before, him. talking about conserve your water. He was warning about the water. I'm like, come on, man, fix that. He, he in fact, he said <laughs> that he said that last week in the big game they were on the he quote precipice of of the water system system failing. Like during the game or around the game or during the weekend, he wow. didn't specify the period of time. But the exact word he used was precipice. That was published in the Clarion Ledger. Well, this game is going to be much bigger than that one I last know. week. I know. So if he was on the precipice last week, what's he going to fall off the cliff this week? I don't know. But that that was his exact quote. I pulled it out of the Clarion Ledger yesterday and shared it here on the show. Wow. Well, I bring my own water. I bring my. <laughs> I, I get my cooler and bring my own because I, I did it. You know that first game. Look, they were not ready for that first game. Right. Uh, that first home game. Yeah. Yeah, no. But uh, hopefully, man, I hope that everything is ready because this is really, really big for Jack. Like you just said, Jackson State, the city of Jackson, the state of Mississippi, even the SWAC itself. So, yeah, this is huge. Well, you know, I hope that nothing happens with the water, Rob, because my fear is it, it, it'll take away from the focus of the event. Mm-hmm. The game, the ceremonies, the honor, and it'll turn into a political matter. Yeah, I hope can't we not. just keep that out of it? And oh, play football. My oh my god! But I, I will say this: Jackson State has done a wonderful job of uh, you know providing water since that first game. Yep. This last game, there were really no issues. We didn't even know, you know, uh, what you just said about the, the the city being on the precipice because everything went fine last game. Right. So, right. I hope, like you said, I'll leave the politics out of it and just play some football, man. Have a good time with this. Yeah, I certainly hope so. 
Uh, so have you been working with uh, the ESPN game day team, other than gathering up all this footage <laughs> that sounds like that was a bigger task than it should have been? No, not me personally, other than getting the video. And uh, we've been um, told to come out tomorrow morning to, uh, you know, we, we're allowed to get interviews with the yeah. with the talent and uh, watch them build a st- the stage. Yeah. I don't Watch them build them stage. Yeah, sure. But uh, you know, get footage. Other than that, um, no. Other than getting footage for ESPN, that's that's what I've been doing. Okay. All right. So, how do you think Coach is preparing his team for this? Because it, it uh, certainly they they obviously all know about it, and it's yeah. pr- probably you know on their minds. How does he keep them focused on playing football? That's a really good question. We asked him that yesterday during his press conference, and he said take their phones away because, you know, these guys uh-huh. love being on social media. Yes. Uh, he's he's uh, holding their phones hostage. But uh, you can't hide from it that it's sure. coming. And, you know, and he's the, he's the perfect guy for this because he, you know, been around all these big-time events, you know, Super Bowl, World Series, and all of this stuff. Yep. So he knows how to get them ready. So I, I think they're in good hands That's with that. That's a good point. I mean, he's a person that, that can speak from – personal experience right exactly. been in that limelight been in these big time games yeah. on the big stage mm-hmm. uh where the press is all over you and all the the mm-hmm. cameras and the lights are on you yeah and you, you got to remember what your job is and mm-hmm. he, so yeah he would probably be a, uh, have yeah. a lot of wisdom to share Absolutely. in that respect mm-hmm. he's doing a really good job is he not rob not not just of coaching the game of football but developing young men as well yeah and and i tell you man he he puts <laughs> I don't know if I should say, but he put signs in the bathroom on how to leave it, like he found <laughs> how to leave it clean. He does a really good job. Wow. He, he says he likes to he coaches in that old school mentality, you know, the, the tough love and 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 all of this. How they coached back in the day, and he was saying we really can't say things to you guys today because you may go, you may record it, you may yeah. go back and tell somebody, you may go and do this. But I'm really surprised how he's been able to do this coaching in that old school fashion with not getting in any trouble yeah mm-hmm. well that, that's good though yeah. um that that he's able to do that mm-hmm. and you know you have to think to some extent given the celebrity status he says mm-hmm. maybe he has a little bit more leeway than others would perhaps? absolutely absolutely he okay. has a, a little bit more he has a lot of leeway. <laughs> well, makes, sense. makes sense he's got a lot of leeway and i was i was like wondering if you go to another school now if you go to a Power five school. I don't think you'll be able to do all of this that you're doing at Jackson State. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because, because the rumor was uh, Auburn. He was looking at Auburn. You ain't gonna do at Auburn what right. you do at Jackson right. State. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, hopefully he's around for a while. Yeah. All right. Now. My understanding is you're going to be the guest picker. That's the rumor going on. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> who's going to Who's going to do it? I don't know. We're all scratching I, our heads around here at Super Talk. I have no. It's, it's always somebody from the school or the state. Or, yeah, some connection. I don't. Maybe I don't know. I don't. Maybe you haven't even thought about it. It seems. I, people have been asking. <laughs> it, it, it threw out Eddie Payton's name. It yeah. threw out Robert Brazil's name. I yep. don't know. I don't know who it could be. Okay. Yes, well, congratulations. Great job. I know you Thank guys you. will do fantastic uh, entertaining, the, hosting the ESPN <laughs> team. And we appreciate them coming here. Appreciate you coming on, Rob. I really appreciate you. Thank you. You got it. Rob J., Assistant Athletic Director for Broadcasting and Video Services from Jackson State University. ESPN Game Day in town this weekend for the big game between JSU and Southern University. Stay with us. We're coming back. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, Jerry and Pontotoc wants to know who's the guest picker Saturday. Anybody know? Well, you heard Rob. He doesn't know either. He's the closest person that I know at this point to those uh, in charge, and he didn't have any. Didn't seem to have any idea. So we don't know who it's going to be. Um, also, Todd from Brandon just sent a photo. College game day trucks turning on to Woodrow Wilson right now. How about that? Headed to the stadium, no doubt. Yeah, that looks like in the background there, Todd, that would be the old Bailey High School. Bailey Junior High, I think, and then it became the Magnet School. They're uh, across from the medical center on, um, yeah, right, on State Street. Yeah, the big Art Deco building. Mm, Yep. Always reminds me of Superman comics. Kind of does look like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Huey from Raymond says they should let Kenneth Stokes be the guest picker at the game this weekend. That works for me. Will a local station broadcast the halftime show? I don't know. With a sonic boom performing? I don't know. Usually, uh, I don't know if it's for Jackson State or not, but usually they have halftime shows available on ESPN3. Or oh. watch ESPN or whatever the online service okay. they call it now. Well, that's cool. Especially for their big games. On the 662, someone not happy about my analysis of the debate last night, the Fetterman debate, says, Hey, Jared, J-A-R-R-O-D, it's G-E-R-A-R-D, but that's fine. You're in Mississippi, so why not talk about stuff going on in Mississippi? Enough making fun of this guy just because he had a stroke. I don't feel like I made fun of him. I played video. I shared commentary and analysis of his performance. Didn't make fun of him, though. I didn't ridicule him in any way, mock him in any way, try to impersonate him in any way. That would be mocking and making fun of somebody. I don't think it's funny. I think it's sad. Said that. As far as the issues here in the state of Mississippi, we try to mix it up. There's national issues. I mean, how can you not have some interest in what's going on nationally with the midterms less than two weeks out? And honestly, the the fate of the control of the Congress, both houses, in the balance. I think it's pretty important. And even though I know that Pennsylvania is a long way away from Mississippi, the fact is there are no Senate races in the state of Mississippi. Our senators are up for re-election, or there's a, I should say, the Senate seats would be contested. I don't know if they're running for re-election at this point. 2024. Senator Wicker's seat, and then Cindy Hyde-Smith, Senator Hyde-Smith's seat, 2026. That's the schedule, but Mississippi doesn't have a dog in the hunt, as they say, from a Senate, U.S. Senate perspective. But these other races are critical, and 
like it or not, what happens with these Senate races and the control in the Senate affects all of us extremely directly, especially the Senate, because that's who approves Supreme Court justices and other nominees, cabinet secretaries, etc. Imagine, just imagine, if we had did not have control of the Senate during the Trump era when we had three justices appointed and seated and approved through the Senate process. Imagine where we'd be. Wouldn't have any Roe v. Wade. And think about any overturning of it. And think about how that's figured into policy here in Mississippi, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's policy in every state, such that several have ballot measures or measures on the ballot coming up here in a couple of weeks. It's a, it's a big deal. It's why the Democrats want to end the filibuster and pack the courts. That issue itself is, is driving, as much as anything is driving that, that and voting rights. They, they want to federalize the voting system in this country, essentially replacing any state control of that. I, those are serious issues, and so I certainly can't please everybody, and I apologize. Uh, well, I don't apologize, but if it doesn't work for you, I understand. What do you always say, Rhino? You just change the dial. Oh, yeah, there's usually two knobs <laughs> on the radio in your vehicle. You can turn either one up, and you won't have to worry about it anymore. Oh, gosh. So, um, you know, we try to find stuff we think would be of interest that maybe you aren't hearing about. With respect to the state of Mississippi, things are really going to heat up, and it's going to consume our shows on a daily basis here, not only when they all get back in session down there at the Capitol, which is just a couple of months away, a little more than a couple of months, but we got statewide elections coming up. That means all statewide elected seats from the governor all the way down, transportation commissioners, public service commissioners, which are which represent districts, um, those are also elected at the time statewide elections occur. Every seat in the House, every seat in the Senate will be contested. So those are going to be big-time deals to, to talk about. But right now, i, I got to tell you, I differ with the, the texter here. What's happening on the federal level with the midterms out there and how that would impact your life? is big, 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 big. Uh, I am honored to be a guest speaker next week at a, at a, a small business, family business a symposium up in Oxford um, sponsored by the Ole Miss Business School. And one of the things that uh, the professors have asked me to discuss is how the midterms might affect business. And I can assure you, business people in this country are paying close attention to that. How might that affect? I can tell you this, if you're in a family business, one that has been built for a long period of time, and maybe you're considering exiting, selling that business, it's a common occurrence. Remember, what the Democrats want to do is change the way capital gains are taxed, and that would be a, any gain on the sale of that business would be 
uh, considered under current tax laws, capital gain, that's taxed at lower rates than ordinary income. They want to change that. Essentially, it would double it. It would double the amount of tax you would pay upon the sale of the business. That's what the Democrats want to do. They made that very clear. And the only thing standing between uh, that policy and reality, honestly, is two Democrats in the Senate that oppose it. But if you've paid attention to what Joe said here of of late, just give me two more senators. And what he's trying to say, even though he, when asked about it, he doesn't articulate this, what he's trying to say is, I got two Democrats that aren't on board with all of my agenda, but if you give me two more to counter them, I can get it done. That's what he's trying to say. This is one of those things. This is one of those issues. I think everybody's concerned about their money and their household finance. Poll after poll after poll shows, by far, number one concern. How could it not be, given our inflationary experience over the last year and the price of gas and so forth, but yet we got a president and a Democrat party that dismisses that? We played the tape the other day of Nancy Pelosi. People need to quit talking about that. We're better than Venezuela. It's stuff like that. So this, this is front and center in this country right now. should be front and center here in the state of Mississippi. I think Mississippians are concerned about that. I totally believe that. Every time you go to the grocery store, and Biden, of course, warns, if you let Republicans take control, they're going to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. Their idea, this, this is the farce they put on the American people. Their idea of combating inflation is to send you more money. Well, yeah, I know the stuff costs more, but I'm just going to send you more money to make it easier on you. Not everybody, by the way. I'm going to forgive your student loans. If you qualify for subsidies in the Obamacare exchanges, I'm going to give you more subsidies. If you're a senior on Medicare, I'm just going to tell those pharmaceutical companies what they're going to charge. I'm going to give you more money to pay for your premiums there and to cover your health care costs. I'm just going to give, 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 give. That's not... That's not addressing inflation. That illustrates you don't really even understand or appreciate the concept, the economic principle of inflation. You don't understand its root causes and how to address them. (laughs) Clearly. And their solution is, here, have some more money. Unbelievable. We're going to take a break right here. It's Tom Petty with Free Fall and bumping us out of this segment. Don't forget, after the top of the hour, it's Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi.
are back in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. So, I don't know, man. Uh, 13 days away now for the U.S., uh, excuse me, the uh, midterms. And I think it's a pretty big deal. Uh, Paula Starkville, well, hold on a second. Uh, I just, so we're being asked to investigate. Are you familiar with this thing? I don't know anything about this. This person that uh, is not happy with uh, our content. Um, I, I'm really, I've never been asked to investigate this issue that has to do with animal cruelty or something. And I'm, I'm not familiar with it. So anyhow, look, I, everybody's got their set of issues that they would call the most important. So what I happen to be talking about is what the polls say are the most important. That doesn't mean other issues aren't important. But there's a limited amount of time and cycles, and try to cover that broadly and and try to mix it up with national issues and state local issues. I feel like this network does a pretty dang good job of that, honestly. Yeah, Paula Starkville says, can you explain the daylight savings time thing going on? I'm not sure what there is to explain about that, Paul, other than the House. It never passed the House? It, it's the Senate that passed it. Rubio, I think, sponsored the bill uh, to make daylight savings time permanent. And, uh, no, uh, Nancy Pelosi never put it on the floor. And so that's required in order for, in general, a state to act on it. It comes up in the legislature, I think, every year here, right? And you could go pass it, but without federal authorization, it's of no value. Uh, I would be a fan of uh, – actually, I don't mind changing the clock. A lot of people do, and i tell you why, because I think it's appropriate, given the orientation of the earth and the way night and day sort of split, because right, right now, as we're approaching changing the clock, right, ending daylight savings time and reverting to uh, standard time, it's dark in the morning, right? And once we change the clock, now that when it's dark now, it will be light. But in the afternoon, it's dark, 5.30 or so, right? You're shifting that around. Um, What's the old proverb? Cutting off an inch off the bottom of the blanket and putting it on the top and thinking the blanket's longer. That's right. So, I mean, I'm I'm sure that is uh, lots of strong opinions on that. Uh, Rubio is the one that pushed in Florida, actually as a state, has also passed legislation, enacted legislation. But it's subject to f- the federal approval, if you will. I don't really know all the details. I know Arizona stays on standard time year-round, but given where they are and how the sun crosses over, kind of makes sense, I guess. And it's also hot as uh, as, as uh, Hades, right? So um, it's a little different. But anyhow, that's all I know about it. Sorry. I do recall when I was – I don't know if you're aware of this or not, Rhino. When I was like in middle school maybe? When the energy crisis, that was the big deal. Running out of oil. Set your thermostat on 78 in the summer and like 42 in the winter or something like that. And 
And, uh, Back you know, fears of the next ice age. Right. And Carter was in, as I recall, and the gas stations were not open, and there was some de- degree of gas rationing. And I remember folks coming to the school and saying, you're just going to have to get over it. We're running out of oil. You're going to have to change your lifestyle. No air conditioning. No just hopping in a car anytime, anytime you want. That's like 73 or something, right? Um, uh, leading up, of course, and it got worse during the Carter era. But uh, anyhow, what I was going with that is that we went on permanent daylight savings time. The idea being we'd use less electricity, right? And then what they found was, well, the kids are lined up to get on the bus at school at 730, and it's pitch black dark. So you see the issue, um, which is why I'm okay. It doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people really uh, don't like changing the clock. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it takes me maybe a day. I don't mind it in the fall. I get bent out of shape in the spring because I lose a whole hour. But in the fall, I get an hour. So, I mean, it, it, it balances out. I got you. Mail carriers need all the daylight we can get at the end of the day, says Nina in Grenada. I agree. Steve in Brookhaven, personally, I prefer longer afternoons and dark mornings, but that's just a preference. I, I agree with you, Steve. That would be, if we're if we're going to do something permanent and not change, I would agree. Daylight savings time by far has my vote. I just think about how much worse the summers would be without that extra daylight to get out and do stuff and enjoy it. I mean, I, I like to play golf, no secret about that, but playing golf to 8 o'clock is pretty fun in the summer, and sports and other outdoor activities, I think, are just better served. Anyhow, we're going to take a break. Coming back with Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy in the Element Well Studios. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, hour three of the program on this hump day. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios, it's Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Douglas, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. It's great to be here, Gerard. All right, so uh, you being from across the pond over there in the U.K., you got a new prime minister. What uh, a chaotic situation. (laughs) (laughs) It's Wednesday. It must be a new prime minister in Britain. (laughs) My God. It's bizarre, isn't it? We've had three prime ministers in seven weeks. We're starting to look like a banana republic. But look on the bright side. At least under the British system, when you've got, and I'm not having a go at anyone, when you've got someone in the job who's clearly out of their depth and who's clearly not up to the role, you don't have to wait four years to get rid of them. That's true. How does it work? Basically, whoever can command a majority of the votes in the House of Commons is invited to become prime minister. And if no one can, you have an election. And you have to have an election within... Uh, maximum of five years. So that's that's, that's the annual rule, basically. Okay. So it would be uh, an election via popular vote then, right? Is that what you're saying? In or a general election, it would be yeah. a popular vote. Okay. Yep. So there's got to be a general election in, I think, uh, 2024. Okay. 
So, um, but in the in, in an interim, if you have a a, a vacation situation, see a situation yeah. like you do here, a vacating situation, I should say. Not a <laughs> well, if you, if you got someone who would be, you know, to put it kindly, would be out of their depth in a bath, okay, um, like we've had in Britain, you can replace them pretty quickly. So it's sort of similar to our impeachment process, or it's it's not even that the bar is uh, I mean, not as high, is it? Yeah, I mean, basically, their 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 colleagues in the House of Commons say it's time for you to go, and they go. Wow. And uh, is that what happened with uh, Boris? Yep. I mean, um, Boris came unstuck because, um, rather bizarrely, someone called Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of a committee called the 1922 Committee, went and had a cup of tea with him and said, now look, Boris, your time's up. And that that was it. (laughs) That's that's our equivalent of impeachment. Can we get somebody up in the U.S. Senate to go have a conversation (laughs) with Joe Biden and make that happen as well? I mean, that is crazy. And that's all but by design, right? Uh, it's more actually by accident. I mean, the British system evolved um, to try and address the issue that the founding fathers tried to address. You know, how do you stop power being concentrated? Yep. We came up with an unwritten, slightly chaotic system, but <laughs> it kind of works. But I have to say the American founding fathers, I think, came up with an even better system okay. by design. Well, they and they had the benefit of seeing what was problematic in Britain. Yeah. And yep. and they took that to heart and said, yeah, we don't want to repeat that. And also, to be boringly historic about it, you guys had your revolution 100 years after our revolution, True. in which time people had rediscovered the architecture of the Roman Republic, which is why you built a Senate and a capital on the banks of the Potomac. When the British had their revolution, or the English, I should say, had their revolution, we didn't know anything about that. So we had to start from That's a good where point. we were. Yeah, but you had the Magna Carta, to, and I don't know if it provided for that structure or it, not. But. It, it did. I mean, a lot of the Magna Carta, actually, bits of it found its way into the American system. Well, that's what I thought. And, and, yeah. and the American Bill of Rights is, in some cases, an almost exact copy of the British Bill of Rights after the Glorious Revolution of 1688. Right. I mean, so it's folks had figured that out as a, as a preferred uh, system of government a long time ago. Yeah. I have to say that I think actually the American system, I know it's unpopular to say this, I think the American system works incredibly well. I still think it's the best system of government in the world. Yep, you get people who you don't want to be in office in office, and you've got to wait till you can get rid of them. But the American system, for all its flaws, I think is the best system. Yeah, I I actually agree with you, and I think to some extent we tend to uh, take it for granted because we've always, uh, most of us, been here and lived under it and just expect it. What do they know of America who only America know? I know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it reminds me of something we've talked about on the program. Is uh, A few days ago, Nancy Pelosi was uh, interviewed on, on uh, I can't remember if it was CNN or one of the big networks. But anyhow, uh, the question came up about, you know, um, Madam Speaker, the polls reflect that Americans are more concerned about inflation and crime and uh, the cost of living and their living standards. By far, that that bubbles up to the top in all the polls, and she basically dismissed it, and she launches into this this narrative where she's comparing inflation in this country to all the other countries. We're better off than all the other countries, We're better than like, Zimbabwe, yeah, Yay. <laughs> like three thousand percent or something, right? So, um, you know, and I, I've said on the program, uh, kind of to your point, Douglas, that 
we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to any other nation. That shouldn't be the standard. In fact, much of the world outside America looks at America as the benchmark, the gold standard. So for America to compare itself to the rest of the world, it's you're, you're doing America down. But on a serious note, people might think, you know, what has the chaos in Britain got to do with the United States? Well, I would say what's happening in Britain is a textbook example of how not to run a country. <laughs> These guys have banned fracking. They've raised taxes. They paid people to sit at home during lockdowns for two years. They've basically done the Everything that the progressives in California would love to inflict upon the whole of America and Britain is going to be a cold and a poor place this winter as a direct consequence. So look at Britain, not to gloat, but as an example of how not to run America. Don't make those mistakes the Brits have made. It's a great point. It it is incredibly instructive. But yet we have people in this country and, and high levels of government that seem to always look to Europe. As the standard in Scandinavia and and want to implement those systems here. I don't think they ever quite got over the fact that George III and his cronies don't run run America. They almost (laughs) seem to want to copy Europe. I, I think it's the other way around, actually. America should be the inspiration for Europe. Sure. If you want to create prosperity and opportunity, you can't do any better than the united states and just take the example of of energy you know the laws of physics are the same in europe and america um the ability to extract heat from burning hydrocarbons is the same anywhere on the planet that's right and yet in europe they're paying five or six times more than people in america because they've done what joe biden would like to do they've banned fracking they've banned oil extraction mm. they've they've gone big on renewables the problem with going big on renewables is that you can't sunshine might be free but it's not free to store and distribute right so you know there are real problems in europe so please don't emulate europe when it comes to well taxes, energy policy, pretty much everything. Yeah, it's such a great point, and uh, I totally agree. But they're bracing for what could be a really serious problem with respect to the winter coming up and the cost of the heat. It's it's no joke. There are plans in Germany right now to get old people into communal rooms so they can heat the communal rooms so that old people don't freeze to death during the winter. I mean, this is in 2022. This is supposed to be progressive. Unbelievable. Um, In pursuit of this eco-madness, Europe has shot itself catastrophically in the foot. And it's played straight into the hands of tyrants. You know, Germany and much of Europe is now dependent to keep its citizens alive this winter on the whim of Vladimir Putin. What what folly has Europe um, allowed um, to come to pass? Such a great point. And yet we still have the American left that still beats the drum of, of climate change and, and just implementing all sorts well, of radical policy. You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're freezing in Europe this winter, you're going to want a bit of global warming because it's the thing <laughs> that might keep you alive. I mean, it is crazy. You know, you've seen all kinds of, I guess, directives, if if not just mandates, with respect to thermostat mm-hmm. settings and yep. so forth. Yeah, as well. And one of the great hallmarks of civilization is that, despite variations in the seasons and despite you know um, dry periods and wet periods, basically people live in a world where they're insulated from the shock of of that. Yeah. What what Europe's managed to do is go back to a pre-modern world where if you get a bad harvest or a cold winter, people will freeze. I mean, it's not modern. It's a return to a sort of pre-modern um, way of life. It's it's not attractive. Yeah, so it's a great point, and I'll share this with you and ask you to comment uh, on it, Douglas, is that uh, I refer to it as this concept of incumbency. And what I mean by that is that when you don't have to worry about how are you going to get from point A to point B, uh, what you're going to have at your next meal, whether or not you can afford it, 
um, and all the other creature comforts that uh, prosperity has produced, you tend to become a little bit more act as an activist, right? And you, you become more virtuous, seems like. Maybe and, even indulgent. Yeah, okay. I would agree with that. But when you're having to worry about how in the world am, am I going to stay alive because it's below zero and I don't have any heat, mm-hmm. then you start throwing that stuff out the window. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if in the West people have become so pampered and so maturely well off, they've forgotten the basic facts of life. Totally agree. We've forgotten, for example, that China is not becoming Western. China is an enemy that's playing a long game, and we've taken our eye off the ball. We've forgotten the fact that there are countries around the world that wish us harm, and we, we've, we've, we've ignored the basic facts of geopolitics. Completely agree, and it, it's influencing policy. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's great for me to, it's John Kerry jetting around and enjoying all his mansions, but yet he's uh, admonishing and scolding all of us because we t- don't take the subway every day or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it's just nuts. Uh, we got a break right here. You can hang around. We got I'd love to. We got to talk you. about uh, what's coming up in the next uh, legislative session. Love See to. what we're having uh, on the table there. We've got Douglas Carswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, in the Element Well Studios. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, that would be a rather accomplished artist from the UK. David Bowie. I love the spike hair. Ziggy Stardust. That was when he was in his best. <laughs> there was some comic artist that drew him one time. You ever seen this? It was nothing but triangles. Remember when he had the big puffy shoulder jackets and the and the uh, the eighties uh, kind of uh, spiked up hairdo? So it's just a bunch of triangles put together. David Bowie. Uh, we got Douglas Garswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. All right, so besides all the crazy stuff happening across the pond, and before we get we get off of that subject, uh, Douglas, so Liz Trust comes in and offers what looks like to be fairly sensible conservative policy, but maybe it was with tax cuts and the like, uh, but maybe it was too much uh, at the same time, right, at one time, and r- really wasn't countered with any significant uh, spending cuts. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the budget. A lot okay. of people say, look, the unfunded tax cuts were the cause of the problem. The, that, that actually ignores the fact that she was proposing to spend an additional £200 billion, pounds, okay. that's more than, well more than $200 billion, on um, right. open-ended um, commitment to fund people's energy bills for the next two years. Oh my That's what the markets oh. didn't like. And that came on top of $350 billion that the government mm. had borrowed to pay people to sit at home right. during lockdown. For So what the bond market then did is to say, well, how are you going to pay for it? And they were saying not, not just how are you going to pay for these minor tax cuts, but how are you going to pay for this 
additional $200 billion spending. That's mm. what got her into trouble. Okay. Because I, I remember when it was fir- when she first announced her plans, and I, and I sifted through those, they all looked like sensible actions to me, honestly. <laughs> they, they all were, but they were overshadowed by the commitment I to spend it. an additional $200 billion. And yeah. that... that you know, the media didn't pick up on that. They went for the fact she was going to reduce the top-line rate of taxation. But right. she was offering to um, reduce um, tax take by $6 billion by reducing the top rate of tax from 45 pence to 40 pence. Okay. Um, but it was the unfunded energy. And significantly, the markets have recovered since the new chancellor came in and said, you know what, we're only going to fund um, the energy bailout for six months, and it's going to be much more targeted. I got you. And there, as I recall, Douglas, there was also maybe some – uh, pausing a reversal of plans to increase, if I got this right, uh, the, our equivalent of Social Security, Medicare, the national insurance stuff. There was some some action there. Yeah, she was going to basically um, stop the commitment to increase corporation tax from roughly 20% to, uh, what, 19% to 25%. Okay. And, you know, if you say to businesses, do you know what, we're going we're to tax 25% of right. your profits, um, that has a big impact on business confidence. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, um, anyhow, what a, just a weird, bizarre, as you said, situation, scenario that played out in a very compressed period of time. Mm-hmm. And then, I guess it wasn't too long ago, sometime last week, we thought Boris was in there. He was going to... I know, it looked like he was coming back, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think given how bad a position the UK is in, um, you know, Sunak is probably the least worst option. Okay. So, in general... You're okay with it? You're happy with it, you think? I would be much more happy if we had Margaret Thatcher rather than a pale <laughs> imitation of her running the country. We got one of those out there? <laughs> this is Britain's problem. Yeah. We've got some a, a dearth of good quality leadership. And it's it's a problem throughout the West. There's a lack of seriousness and gravitas amongst career politicians. Yeah. And you know, how do we tackle this? Yeah. All right. So we got the Mississippi legislature yep. going to be convening once again, as they always do, in January. Just a couple of months and uh, change out. What's uh, What are you guys focused on, Center for Public Policy? This year? We're going to be publishing a conservative platform for Mississippi in November. I meet lots and lots of elected officials in Mississippi who claim to be conservative. And so on behalf of actual conservative voters in Mississippi, we're going to publish a platform listing the things that we think a genuine conservative ought to agree to. One of those things is to use some of the massive budget surplus we've got in Mississippi to give additional tax breaks back to Mississippians. We we saw, and I was delighted to see following our campaign, a a big reduction in the personal income tax. I think we need to cut corporation tax. Now, when I say corporation tax, often people think, hey, he wants to give big businesses a bailout. Now, most of the people in Mississippi, most of the organizations in Mississippi that pay corporation tax are small businesses. Giving them a tax break, using some of that surplus to give businesses a tax break will help create jobs. It will help those businesses. It will help them at a time of economic uncertainty. And I think that's something we could do. Hmm. Here's an idea that we're going to include. And I want to just see what you think about this. How about giving ordinary voters in Mississippi the power to recall a mayor? If the mayor proves to be not up to the job if and i don't have anyone in mind in particular but if you have a mayor who perhaps is good at winning elections when people are voting according to their traditional affiliation but turns out not to actually be that effective at doing the job why not allow ordinary people to have an effective referendum on their competence why not make the performance of a mayor um an electable issue through a recall mechanism so that's something we'll be looking at many states do uh, yeah. um, would you 
think uh, about that as something to be implemented at all levels of elected officials in government or just the municipal level? You I th- use the mayors. Of- I, I think we should start at a municipal level. Why, tactically, I think it would be easier to get through than an army of elected officials who wouldn't like the idea. I agree. Let's, but I think there's an acute need at the level of um, municipal government, simply because so often you end up with some pretty third-rate people running a municipality, simply because they're very good at monopolizing the local party machinery yep. and in a one-party system um, if you monopolize the local party machinery and you're the mayoral candidate you, you get in it's a slam dunk it, it therefore strikes me as really important that you give the voters the opportunity to say look you know i might normally vote democrat i might normally vote republican and but hang on the person we've actually got based on their actual performance isn't up to the role can we recall them and i i think a very powerful argument can be made to recall mayors Sure, certainly seems like there's more cronyism that occurs mm. uh, in campaigns and in politics at the local level mm. uh, than perhaps does, just because you're dealing with fewer people, I, generally I think, speaking. I think recall works much better at a local level, too, because there's an immediacy. People kind of see the local representative, and so they can make a judgment. Forget party for a second. Forget blue versus red and all that other nonsense. How does this person who I know, I might have gone to school with them, I might have friends of theirs, I might see them, I might have met them, I certainly hear about them a lot. How does this person that I know actually perform in the job? So I think recall, an argument can be made that recall would work at a municipal level in a way that it might not be so effective at a state level. That, that makes sense. Well, all right, so you're working with members of the legislature on uh, getting something done along those lines? We're working on it now. We're, we're trying to get consensus. We need to get agreement on, on how a recall mechanism would work. Okay. Um, Healthcare is a really big issue in Mississippi. You know, you don't need me to tell you that UMMC, uh, Blue Cross, uh, they're at loggerheads. I think one of the problems we need to address in Mississippi is how we got ourselves into a situation where you've got these monopoly providers. And that is because we've got these incredibly restrictive practices known as certificate of needles. We need to get rid of them. We need to allow nurse practitioners to work with greater autonomy from doctors. We need to allow pharmacists to prescribe medicine. If we did these kind of sensible, common sense reforms we would ensure that more Mississippians could get affordable health care and weren't at the mercy of a system that fundamentally just treats them as a product rather than as a customer. Yeah, I actually agree with that as as well. So what about the citizen-initiated ballot measure process that has uh, now essentially been nullified by the state Supreme Court and didn't get any traction last year? That's also on our to-do list. I think there was a very good proposal that died in the Senate, and it basically said, look, People should have the right of initiative. They should have the right to change the law. But you shouldn't try to use initiative to constantly amend the Constitution. So there should be a much higher threshold for amending the Constitution. So you need a new right of initiative that is has a trigger mechanism that actually works. The Supreme Court found that the existing one doesn't work. Okay. But that it, 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 it makes it easier to vote to change the law by popular vote, yeah. but harder to change con- the Constitution. Don't, let's not try and constantly squeeze our debates into constitutional questions let's let's make them legislative questions yeah i tend to agree as well so um i'm gonna uh, pass this on let's see uh not just mayors all mississippi elected officials is uh should be uh, uh, subject to recall there was something else uh somebody said i'm, I'm looking for it i can't find it. but anyhow basically the the uh, comment was that this really wouldn't affect 
mayors in making controversial decisions, that this really wouldn't influence them. I, I don't know. I, I think they're right. This is from a former mayor, says, served five terms. I disagree with the mayor that the mayor would then be afraid to make a controversial decision. I don't know that that's necessarily the, the purpose, I, I don't though. Think, I, I don't think that's the case. I think mayors who make controversial decisions and sometimes are willing to take decisions that are short-term unpopular would actually, you know, gain credibility by yeah. doing that I, I think what it would guard against is the sheer monumental incompetence of some of our municipal yeah, mayors i think that's the more important aspect of and it some then. of our mayors couldn't run a bath because there's no water for them to run a bath that is a <laughs> that is an issue that needs to be addressed oh gosh here we go <laughs> yeah i hear you i think it is more a matter of this person's just incompetent and not really adequately serving the people mm-hmm. than it is uh, a matter of just trying to force a specific decision at, on an issue look at this way everyone listening to this has a job and if they don't perform at their job you me everyone listening can be fired so why are politicians immune to that yeah i, I hear you I, I agree with that as well so trying it at the local level i think makes a lot of sense uh douglas thanks for coming on man. thank Appreciate you so much it. i really enjoyed D- that douglas carswell president and ceo of mississippi center for public policy has been our guest on middays in the element well studios coming right back Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone midday super talk mississippi let's see it's ben from madison on the ceasefire text line that said recall process would be great but it shouldn't be limited to mayors I, i think douglas has a good point there let's kind of give it a go give it a try get it implemented and i think we have a much better chance of getting something passed along those lines it's it's really just a, a mechanism for accountability uh, more than anything else, I think. And I think Douglas is right. Sometimes folks just get in and something happens or, I don't know, over their head. Uh, you, a lot of situations, I know this just comes as a shock, but politicians make commitments and then they don't honor those commitments. And, and you know, us. There's different degrees and levels of that, I guess, but when it rises to the level of this person's got to go. You've also noticed in the states that do have a recall process, where have you seen that invoke more than any other elected official position? School boards. Heck, San Francisco, most liberal city arguably in the entire country, got so put out with the dang woke left-leaning school board that's worried about more worried about changing the names on the schools than they are getting the kids back in the classroom and thrusting this radical gender ideology down children's throats than studying fundamentals of mathematics, as an example. They recalled enough to change the, essentially, the control of the school board. So you've seen it more, uh, more successful. 
On the other hand, look at the recall, massive amount of money and effort in recalling the governor of California. Didn't work. Got reelected. So I think it does make sense to start locally, and so we'll see where that goes. Uh, that was uh, interesting to hear that Douglas supports that, and that is mainly not just him supporting it personally, but it, that his organization intends to uh, essentially advocate for that as part of their policy advocacy um, process and activities. That's interesting. The uh, the existing ballot initiative process would be fine. This is on the ceasefire text line. It's really hard. Just correct the 20% threshold to the actual number of congressional districts. I disagree with that, uh, honestly. And I'll tell you why. is because I agree with Douglas, and I agree with legislation that was uh, considered this past session where citizen-initiated ballot measures would not amend the Constitution, but rather statute, affect statute, law. Amending the Constitution, which is what we had before the Supreme Court said, you got a math problem here in the in the law that provides for citizen-initiated measures, ballot measures, before that came about, that was the only mechanism we had. We have no way to create or amend law under the old ballot measure process. So I think that amendments to the Constitution requiring the legislature to refer those to the ballot, because that's the way, that's the other alternative. It can either be done by uh, a measure initiated by citizens, meets all the requirements, or it can be just referred to the, it passes the legislature and then refer is referred to the ballot. And in fact, as I recall, Rhino, you and I looked it up, I don't think the governor even has to sign it. I think it's just... Isn't that right? seems like it just passes the legislature. I don't remember the threshold, if it's just majority or not. But anyhow, it does that, goes to the ballot, and the citizens vote on it, and then it, and it, they pass it. If it wins, popular vote, it gets embedded in the Constitution as an amendment. So I think having the ability just to deal with statute is sufficient. I do think that having the legislature involved and in referring something as an amendment to the Constitution, the, the Constitution is fairly static, and it should be. I don't think that if you look at our most pressing issues in the state, I don't think amendments to the Constitution are... I don't. I, I can't think of anything offhand where we really need to do that. Statute, yeah. So I, I think that makes, makes sense. As I recall, though, the big difference between the House version and the Senate version was the number of signatures. Is that the way you remember it, Rhino? The, the Senate had a higher threshold in terms of the number of signatures. I think that's right. Um, it was a higher percentage of the, the population. Yeah, or the the last vote uh, in the last gubernatorial election. I want to say that's the standard. And a number of ballots cast. So the... Um, and anyhow, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but it kind of died because, because the House and the Senate couldn't come to an agreement there. So we'll see. That ought to be uh, kind of interesting, but but you know if if you look at kind of the the task list as the legislature convened last year, that seems to just kind of come to my mind as the one unfinished piece of business. And just if you look at their at their agenda, 
so to speak. And where uh, I'm not talking about, of course, everybody knows there's what 2,500 bills, somewhere between two and three thousand bills to get filed, which is if insane. Not more. Yeah, which is insane. Uh, but if if you just look at kind of the high level, high profile agenda items, that's kind of the one that comes to mind that uh, just didn't happen. And depending on you know, you may have a different different uh, uh, view on whether or not these were accomplishments, but teacher pay raise, tax reform comes to mind. It's a couple of the big ones. So uh, the legislature would tell you that the appropriation of ARPA funds and the programs they put together there, such as the matching water program, that was a, and it took a lot of time, there's no doubt. There was a bunch of cycles invested in that. But I think they, they would say that's kind of what we see as the key takeaways in terms of accomplishments. But the ballot measure process, uh, oh, medical marijuana, pardon me, forgot about that. Again, you may not support that, but th- that still was a major item that uh, finally got hammered out and implemented into law. Uh Let's see. Thomas wants to know why is Lucian cheerleading for my tax money to be spent in Jackson for their water system mismanagement? The legislature shall have a vote on XXX. I'm not sure what you're talking about there. I, it, it, is Lucian, did he talk about that? I know he was he was on, right, as a guest. Um, he's guest hosting tomorrow at Hobnob. So I, I don't know, Thomas. I don't I don't know the details there. And so you'd uh, maybe you know something I don't that you could share with us. And when you say my tax money, are you talking about federal tax money or state tax money there? I know that Senator Wicker did include $20 million in the latest continuing resolution, the last continuing resolution, to fund the federal government. That $20 million earmarked for the city of Jackson. I actually disagree with that. And it's just another one of those situations where when do we ever say no? The deficit, the debt, despite what Joe Biden says, he just lies about it. It's out of control, and it's because we never say no. So while I understand that may be perceived as a victory for the city of Jackson and perhaps even the state of Mississippi, hey, Jackson's getting federal money, and often you're in circles where there's talk of various needs and yeah, we need to see if there's a federal program for that. You hear that come up, you know, if there's federal money available for that. And I, I always stop and think, well, when do we ever say no? Because that's how we got $31 trillion in debt. That's exactly how. Because everybody's trying to feed at that trough, and they don't balance the budget. So the books don't have to balance, so to speak. Revenues and expenses don't equal. We just print money. And that money printing is has uh, triggered 8%-plus inflation and high, very high interest rates and all sorts of uh, other negative economic issues. And uh, we're all paying for it. So we got money, but we got big-time inflation and, of course, massive debt. Now, Joe Biden, by the way, is taking victory laps because the deficit this year is only going to be about $1.4 trillion. I mean, that's just how 
insane we are in this country at the federal level when we're bragging about a $1.4 trillion deficit. Well, it's down from last year. Well, it's only down because, thank God, you didn't force another COVID relief bill through at $1.9 trillion. I mean, that, that, there was nothing you did from a policy perspective other than you just didn't make the same mistake as you did last year. By throwing that in there, it shouldn't have been that last year. I just, I'm always just mesmerized from that. So, anyhow, um, he says he's on the news clip saying the president helped Jackson set we should fund fixing Jackson's. Well, okay, I haven't heard that. I hadn't necessarily heard the the uh, the clips, but we'll see where all that goes. We're coming back. We got some tickets to give away when we return here in the Element Well Studios. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. My daddy spent his life looking up at the sky. He cussed, kicked the dust, saying, son, it's way too dry. The clouds up in the city, the weatherman complains. But where I come from, rain is a good thing. Back with you in the Element Well Studios. It's middays on this. Hump day. All right, Rhino's going to give away some tickets to Brian Kilmeade. Oh, yeah, Fox and Friends host and New York Times best-selling author Brian Kilmeade's bringing his well-known humor and commentary to the Magnolia State for one night only. Brian will tackle some of the day's hottest political topics and also talk about his best-selling books. Tickets for the show are on sale now. He's going to be live at Brandon City Hall, and you can get tickets on Ticketmaster.com, but you've got a chance to win a pair of tickets to see him on Saturday, November 12th. All you got to do is be the 14th person to text into the ceasefire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Be the 14th person to text in the words City Hall Live, and you'll win a pair of tickets to see Brian Kilmeade at the Brandon City Hall Live on Saturday, November 12th. There you go. So Ben from Madison says, it doesn't really make sense to make it harder to place an issue on the ballot, especially if it's just amending the statute versus the Constitution. I I guess, Ben, what you're referring to is uh, the fact that the Senate wanted more signatures to qualify. I don't have it in front of me. It's been a while since I looked at it. I want to say it's like 112% or no. I don't know. There's some percentage of the total ballots cast in the prior gubernatorial election. When we were dealing with that back in the session, I had all that committed to memory, but uh, I have forgotten. But nonetheless, as I recall, the the, uh, the Senate wanted more signatures to qualify a measure. Uh, I'm going to see if I can look it up real quick. But I, I get it and what's involved in that. So it's it's broken. I think it needs to be fixed. I think the citizens do need some way to get a measure on the ballot, and I'll try to figure out, certainly if I don't, before we get out here today, by tomorrow, what exactly that threshold is 
The existing ballot... Oh, no, we already did that one. Let's see. Why are the federal and state employees subject to drug screening? This is Kirk from Columbus. When elected officials are not. And they are the ones making policies. Well, I hear you, Kirk, but I can say this. Federal and state employees are not elected. Elected officials are elected. Federal and state employees are employees. They are hired. And they abide by state policy. Now, I feel like... If they wanted to, Speaker of the House and perhaps the leadership in the Senate could require that, just like they required masks and social distancing and all kinds of, I mean, what, remember, I know we haven't talked about this in a while, but remember Nancy Pelosi, uh, when they started the new Congress, when Biden took over and uh, the new class took over the House, she published a bunch of rules about Proper language etiquette in the house? Couldn't say, like, husband, wife, (laughs) daughter, son, stuff like that. Remember that crap? I mean, so you would think if you could do that, you could certainly require drug testing if they wanted to. But so what are you saying then, Kirk? Are you saying that if a person fails a drug test, they shouldn't be able to serve? It's a serious question. Now, we had drug testing in my company, and... What's bizarre is we never had anybody fail it. I was always shocked at that. And we had a a very expensive, reputable third party conduct the test, and all of our offers were subject to that. And some of our employees, uh, based on their position, uh, because we thought it was risky, we required drug testing even after they were employed. They had to pass a drug test to remain employed. Nobody ever failed. And I had a big operation in Colorado. And we actually checked. In Colorado, where recreational marijuana is legal, could you still uh, make that a condition of employment, passing a drug test, even for marijuana? And we learned from legal counsel out there, yeah, you can still do that. So it's legal, but it's just our policy says we don't allow it. So it's interesting, though. I appreciate that, Kurt. Um, so, the initiative process is good only if it doesn't change the state constitution. I'm with you. I I don't think that's necessary. I think that uh, a citizen-initiated ballot measure process, I think the way that was, was structured in the bills that were filed this past session, where they only deal with state statute and not the constitution, I think those made perfect sense, and and uh, I hope they get something done on that. Again, as I recall, the the conflict was over the number of signatures. Um, so in the last the last cycle, 106 thousand were required. I want to say it's 12 percent of the total seems to come to mind. Rhino, 12 percent of the total ballots cast. Um, and I think what the Senate wanted, as I recall, was 20%. Is that what you, you're shaking yeah, your head? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it's 109,000 like versus 140,000 or something like that to qualify. We're out of time here today in the Element Well Studios. We'll be back here again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.